Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for the 14th of August 2013. Hey, we're back for another podcast. I'm Phil Hinton, editor of AV Forums, and joining me for this edition are audio reviewer Ed Selly. Hey, Ron, I'm riding a furry tractor. Movies editor Simon Crust. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Games editor Mark Potwright. Tits McGee is on vacation. News editor Mark Hodgkinson. I love lamp. And AV Forums assistant editor Steve Withers. I'm Ron Burgundy. Hey. Well sold. Yeah. <laughs> because your acting skills there, Steve. Are first class. Presumably, I don't know, is someone, if we've got the beep thing in action, is someone going to be able to sign off going the actual classic Ron Burgundy autoprompter moment? I'm sure the, the beep is going to be in full use this evening, so um, I'm sure <laughs> that, that can be used at some point. So uh, before we go to hardware news, just catch up quickly on Pram News. Uh, Ed, it was delivered this week. Uh, it arrived this morning completely unexpectedly. Uh, massive box. Um, haven't yet managed to get out of said box, but um, obviously... Are we talking yes. about the pram now? Yes. All right. Yes. And uh, at, at the moment, literally, uh, for, for an individual who, even when he gets here, is going to be less than a foot long and weigh about eight pounds, um, about, well, 150 pounds weight worth of stuff has turned up in the last 48 hours. It's, um yeah, it's, uh, yeah, messy. But um, no, I'm, I'm I'm saving the pram until a bit later on. I've, I've, I'm planning through a lot of review stuff at the moment, but um, yeah, going to break that out, get in training, work out how all the bits work. And yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't had a massive buyer's remorse yet, but I, I'm sure that'll come later on. I'd be Wait till you get the credit card bill. Yeah. <laughs> it's only money. <laughs> anyway, let's Well, actually, let's... it's on the credit card. It's not even that. Yeah. <laughs> So let's move on. LG, dropping prices, talking about money on 4K TVs. We mentioned this a couple of podcasts back that they were actually $1,000 more expensive uh, than Sony. Samsung. And Samsung. So no surprise, really, that they've brought their prices in line and made the excuse that they've cut some features out. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'd, I'd have been surprised if they didn't cut the price, to be honest. Yeah, they must have been listening, I think, to be honest. Um, yeah, it, it was always going to be a hard proposition, a new sell in a, in a, in a, a, a not-established market. Uh, and a gram more than your competitors, you're not going to do it. So they've cut the uh, motorized 4.1 speaker bar that no one wanted anyway, and a built-in camera, and they've got a thousand. Uh, yeah, yeah so they've cut the one feature that was pretty much pointless on a you know a 4K TV because anyone buying that TV is going to have their own 5.1 system already, aren't they? You would hope so. You kind of wonder why they don't just um, you know with these kind of high-end TVs, why they just don't bother just take the speakers off entirely. I mean, the 65-inch Sony 4K, you know, had great speakers, but to be honest, people buying that TV are probably not going to use them. Cut the cost a little bit more, um, and, and if people want to add speakers, then provide that as an option. I mean, that's what they used to do with the old uh, Pioneer oh, Kuros, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Presumably, um, you technical types might be able to confirm this. This is no, the, these sets, price reduction or not, they're still no nearer resolving um, any of the ongoing doubts about whether they actually have the correct HDMI board in to be useful for more than like the next 25 minutes. No, I, think, I think LG have been completely silent on that one. I think at least oh, Samsung. So, so it's only Samsung have acknowledged it. LG, I don't, I can't remember them. And it's saying anything about HDMI too. Samsung so. said that they, you know their evolution kit would be a way of upgrading, but as far as I'm aware, the evolution kit is a software, you know, is, is a plug-in. Well, certainly it is on this year's televisions, um, or rather last year's televisions to be upgraded to this year's platform. You know, you plug in this uh, 
a, a small uh, kind of I don't know device into the back that basically gives it the quad core processing and the higher you know, the different yeah, the, um, software. But you know, if we're talking about HDMI 2.0. That's going to be a whole new HDMI board. Yeah, unless really you're going to have some clunky, clunky adapter, and then you've got an HDMI board hanging off the back of your telly, which is doesn't look too pretty. <laughs> yeah, does that, it? that'll yeah. look nice. Yeah. yeah. So it'll, be, still... it'll be a third party, third um, party, not sorry, not a third party, but. Uh, um, uh, an accessory, an adapter, or something like that. No doubt, they'd be able to plug in. But uh, as it stands, they're still asking you to drop five thousand bucks on something with an indeterminate lifespan. Yes, that's awesome. Right. Awesome. Where do yeah. I sign? Uh, obviously, uh, LG don't listen, Mark, because they're still talking to us this week. They wouldn't be talking to us if they last week. <laughs> this is true. Talking about Samsung. Um, moving on, curved OLED. They've also dropped prices on that. Um, is it available? I haven't seen it for sale. It's, it's in Korea. So this, this is only in Korea, as far as we know. So it's come down from uh, 9.9 million won, which is about 5,200, to uh, from 8,700 pounds. So it's 34% off, which is quite a reasonable a reasonable saving, but I think everyone's realised no one really wants a curved TV in the first place. Maybe they're just trying to shift stock before announcing the next generation of the thing we're not going to see. And I don't know, if you were sentimental for all those geometry errors you used to get on those whacking great CRTs, it could be just the thing. Well, yeah. or, or am I missing the point? I, I, don't, I don't think anyone's really got the point. I, I think the reason they've got curved OLEDs is just purely because you can do that. <laughs> there is no other reason. Yeah, it's it. flexible, so we will flex yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, they yeah. keep saying that it's cinematic, but um, obviously you have a curved uh, projection screen uh, when you're using an anamorphic lens because it corrects the uh, the issues when you put the anamorphic lens in front of the projector. That's why some cinema screens are curved, and they say it's cinematic because it's curved. Bollocks. <laughs> doesn't matter. It's just, uh, 55 inches, does it really matter anyway? Yeah, no, exactly. On a 10 foot wide or 50 foot wide screen, that's one thing. On a 55 inch screen, unless you're sat exactly in front of it, you're, gonna, you're not going to see a decent picture at all. They look pretty so good I, I guess, photos. I think that's. Yeah, well, I guess if it's for one person who's going to use it on their own to, I don't know, maybe play games or something like that, it show might off. Be fun. So, exactly yeah. what I was going to say, it would be a fantastic as a, as a, a monitor, wouldn't it? A games yeah. monitor. When you sit, you know, three inches from the screen, all peripheral vision. So that's its one purpose. <laughs> so, so, so we should get Mark Botwright to review this, then, Mark. No, that'd be that'd be PC gaming. That's not my avenue. <laughs> well, stepped aside, sir. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. So that's the hardware news for this week. Uh, 4K and OLED. Uh, always seem to be talking about it, but it is a bit quiet. Uh, reason it is quiet is that IFA is just around the corner, uh, first week in September. Um, so I have no doubt that we're going to have lots of hardware to talk about that week. Uh, Steve, you're going over. Are you going over this year, Ed? Uh, probably not, um, as it stands. But um, I do have people who are who are going over. So if, if there's things that Steve misses, if he's just distracted by showgirls, I'm, I'm sure that I'll be getting an inside line on some of the things as well. Sure, I, mean, I guarantee he will be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Last year, I, th- I, th- I thought Philips's ironing competition was the most diverting thing that you that I, I found on display. That was just bizarre. Oh, dear me. No, I explained <laughs> it last year. You could actually compete with the Philips all singing, all dancing, amazing iron against the Dutch national ironing champion. And yes, there was one. And he was only using an ordinary iron. And it was to demonstrate just how unbelievable the, the Philips iron is. Um <laughs> Uh, okay. Dutch and it, uh, it would be a bloke. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's flat over there anyway. Flying. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, uh, let's move on to some tech news. Uh, Asus had a product launch um, last <clears> week, but Steve's only managed to get around to writing about it today uh, in typical fashion. So what did they launch, Steve? <laughs> well, it was last Thursday. <laughs> so it makes it sound like it was the beginning of last week. Uh, they basically launched... AV forums their... always at the cutting edge of bringing you tech news three days yeah. late. Uh, basically, they launched their new uh, their new lineup of tablets and notebooks. It was under the banner of um, back to school, so obviously they were targeting, uh, um, you know, people, students predominantly, I guess, and maybe school children as well. I don't know how well equipped school children are these days, but it's been so long since I was at school. Maybe you know, maybe they all sit there with their laptops open now. Um, but yeah, they basically had their tablets and um, they had their notebooks. So uh, from on the sort of tablet side of things, they're they're sort of big. big a uh, big win this year and, and last year as well, I guess, has, has been the fact that uh, Google have used Asus to produce the Nexus 7. So they had the latest version of Nexus 7 there, which I've got to say is is, is a wickedly highly specced seven-inch tablet. Um, and, you know, certainly will give uh, the iPad mini a good run for its money. If, if you're one of those people that doesn't want anything to do with Apple uh, and you're an Android fan, then then certainly it, it, it looked really impressive. I, I had a play with it. I've got to admit, I'm a bit of an Apple fanboy and, I'm not that familiar with Android um, as an operating system. I didn't find it as intuitive to use as uh, as I find Apple stuff. And I did point out to Asus whilst I was there. You know, I said that, you know they produce some really really good innovative innovative um, and, and well specified kit, really well made, very very keen pricing. Um, but they just have a little bit of an, an image problem. You know, they just inherently aren't cool. It's just a PC um, manufacturer everyone thinks about, don't they? That's yeah, yeah. Well, they're just not very cool. Uh, and they said, yeah, that's true. We're not very cooler cool. than Microsoft, probably. <laughs> well, yes, that's true. They said that. If ever there cool. was the term damning with faint <laughs> praise, I think that probably, probably covers it. Cooler than Sylvester McCoy. <laughs> well, a- Apple's obviously cool. Um, but the second largest manufacturer of, of tablets is Samsung. And they said they're not very cool either. And, then, and our, you know, they got their eye on basically dislodging um, Samsung from the number two slot, I think. I think, but with all the best will in the world, it's going to, you know, they're not going to dislodge Apple at the moment. I mean, they are so utterly dominant in the tablet market. But they did have um they had their also had their what they called their MIMO, M, M small E capital M capital O, which is their sort of cheaper, their sort of generic, if you like, uh Asus tablet as opposed to the Nexus. Yeah, it, lo- it looks like the Nexus 7. It's one. exactly like the Nexus 7, yeah. but it's slightly less show, specified. Yeah. Not quite specified. So as they put it, it won't win all the benchmark tests the way the Nexus 7 will, but it's a bit cheaper. So how much was that, Steve? That was one two nine for yeah, the basic model. It is pretty good value, yeah. And, and I, had, I had a good look at the two, and they are very similar. When you get them up next to each other, you can see the differences, but it's not obvious. Um, and they said, you know, look, for people that aren't that concerned about you know, amazing performance and features that you can get on the Nexus 7, then this is a, a cost-effective alternative. Very true. They had their transformer there, which I think, you know, is, is a great idea. And I'm surprised a lot of people don't do it. But, you know, it's a Windows tablet with a notebook docking station with the keyboard and everything. So you know either have it as a notebook or as a tablet. They then had their uh, transformer trio, which takes it sort of to the next obvious stage, which is tablet, notebook, and PC. <laughs> so you've got the, the tablet part, the notebook part, and also a docking station to turn it into a PC as well. Um, you know, so that again, that's Did quite that one run Android as, as well as Windows? Yes. Uh, no, no, it ran Windows uh, on the tablet, so it was all Windows operating system, I think. Right. Wasn't the one that did, did, did dual Windows and... Oh, maybe it did, did do both, yeah. I proofed it this morning, I'm sure they yeah. were mentioned. <laughs> I wrote it this morning. <laughs> well <remember>. observed. <laughs> yeah, sure, right, it does, because I remember it was talking about seamlessly transitioning from one operating system to the other. I mean, Asus had a range of, net, uh, of their new notebooks on, on, on display as well, and I'm not sure. I mean, I haven't seen the numbers, but I'm not sure how well. I mean, this is a kind of that's a kind of market that Asus almost helped 
develop from the beginning the notebook market and yeah. i'm not quite sure how their sales numbers are looking now compared i mean tablets basically have almost overnight destroyed the laptop, laptop yeah, next year they're projected to sell uh by about four to one aren't they laptop uh, sorry tablets to notebooks yeah which is some turnaround uh talking about tablets uh quick bit of news mark about the new ipad uh, yeah, prospectively, uh, yet again, the uh, rumour comes in from Southeast Asian suppliers. So this is people involved in the supply chain. Uh, and this is uh, the, the prospect of the next iPad, the full-size one, using the same touchpad uh, technology uh, as the iPad mini does now, which is one of the reasons it's so light and, light and uh, comfortable to hold so it's not just the fact uh, that it's smaller it's the fact that it doesn't use glass and it's touchpad tech and it uses it uses uh, a different kind of filter which makes it much lighter so there's a prospect of that being included in the next ipad which i think would be good news because i think they can get quite heavy after yeah, a while what, so, sorry are you severely malnourished uh, i'm no. sorry I, I got an ipad 3 here at no stage in the in the year i've had it have i thought blimey this small item is incredibly heavy. Do you hold it? No, How it do you does, hold it? Do you hold it, it does like get heavy, there, Ed. It does get heavy, especially if you're reading. It gets very heavy if you're holding it in your hand. Clearly, I read heavier books than you guys. Uh, <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm joking aside. Every time this sort of com- comes up, I, I'm just innately sceptical. I honestly mean it. Making something light and then still feel solid is a dark art. And I don't, I mean, I'm not a particularly big fan of the iPhone 5. I think it feels, I don't f- feel it sort you, of is desperately substantial in the hand. Fondled an iPad mini. Uh, yes, and I'm not. <laughs> and they feel quite nice. Don't they? I think they've got it right with that. So if it just uh, translates. I'm, not, I'm, I'm really not convinced. I, 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 I just like Mr. They will make it lighter in time, but they're bound to. So, Ed, you just like it bigger than seven inches. That's, that's the issue. <laughs> that as well, yes. Um, but um, no, I, I, I joking aside, I, I just think I, I, one of the reasons I've, I've been a big fan of the iPad is that it feels quite a substantial piece of kit in the hand. And obviously, yes, thanks to my, you know, I don't know, ex- extensive use uh, knowledge of uh, gentlemen's literature, maybe I'm just, you know, more like Popeye than the rest of you. I, I, it's hard to say, but I've never, you, I've never found it heavy. Do you tend to, though, do you ever like kind of hold it like, say, like a, a waiter would hold a tray? And so where you, you you spend a lot of time typing on one or anything like that? Because um, if you try and hold it, kind of prop it up in one hand and you do, say, a lot of typing, then it really does start after it. You think, no, no, that's fine. And then when you take it out of that hand, if you've been sat there for kind of half an hour or something, all of a sudden you feel this kind of cramp in your forearm. That's where I, I think things like the iPad mini. I the flat when I'm typing on it, to be honest, but I actually don't hold it in either hand. I just type on it in, in, uh, in landscape, but... Maybe that's where I've been going wrong all these years. Just me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I I get where you're coming from, I guess. But it's not uh, joking aside. I just don't. I would be very sketchy about sacrificing just the way it feels. I mean, maybe this is my hi-fi sort of ancestry coming mm. out, where fundamentally big, solid things are things that we equate as being good. I mean, we could all but review hi-fi by weight. Yeah, you don't have to sit there holding your speaker, do you? I mean, well, I'm well, no. your amp. I'm this is the geekiest this. show of bravado I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't find an iPad terribly heavy. <laughs> now give us your dinner money. <laughs> Tickets to the government. Give us your bitcoins, you mean? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, let's move on a little bit. Uh, HTC seem to be, um, other than their executives all quitting, mm. seem to be doing okay in terms of uh, their media campaigns. They seem to be everywhere at the moment, minute. And uh, Robert Downey Jr. is signed on, Steve, for their new campaign. Um, yes, they have, obviously, they're trying to make themselves look cool because obviously they're also competing with Apple. And to do so, they brought in Robert Downey Jr., who uh, seems to be playing a version of Tony Stark in the advert I saw. Um, where he basically playing himself, isn't he? Well, yeah, I guess Tony he's Stark just being, is just him, isn't just it? just being him. Yeah. yeah. Um, re- reeling off random. What did he say? What humongous, was his version? Humongous. tinfoil catamaran. Yes, that's right. Um, I have no, no idea it, what that what means. The, it's going to be a series of campaign of adverts with bizarre um, phrases using HTC. What, uh, what, what, what I don't understand is why Downey Jr. is bothering he, he made thirty million. Oh, yeah, he made thirty never, million enough, from the it? Avengers. He made fifty million off of Iron Man three. He does not need. You can money. Have, you can never have enough money. Maybe he really. Uh, is I just can be. I can be asked. I just take the cash. And... I mean, where's he going to go with? You know, the letters HTC. There's not a lot of um, scope there, is. I mean, obviously, the first one's been uh, silly, horrible, titty crap. <laughs> <laughs> That's maybe a little bit too close to the mark there. <laughs> it, it must be said, looking at the article, that is a very smart cat he's holding. I don't know if that has any bearing on the advert. But it's a <laughs> Why would you be interested in the cat? I like Your cats. Seems to, cats and prams and <laughs> and very heavy hi-fi equipment. That's, that's it for you, isn't it, really? I have a diverse and wide-ranging set of interests. Thank you very much. <laughs> Just three of the things you like. <laughs> Just... <laughs> If I could make it scan to the uh, to the uh, my favourite thing song, I would, but I, I'll have to work on that. Okay, Steve. Uh, I think this other story is mainly for you. So, when you lived in Japan, what was your toilet like? Yeah, I did have, <laughs> didn't have one. When I when I lived in Tokyo, <laughs> I had one of those Japanese toilets with a, with a, it was like uh, a Captain Kirk's chair on the Enterprise with a control panel down the side. The thing that always disturbs me is that it's heated when you sit down. Yeah, you get you. It's nice. You get used to that. I tell you, you miss it when you, when you don't have it anymore. Lovely warm seat. Time you sat down, flushes itself when you get up. You know, you haven't got to do anything. It's all remote control. You can have a B day and all sorts of stuff. Um, and they always have these like, little icons. So like, as an arse shape with water spraying up towards it. It's brilliant. Uh, anyway. They've got um, public toilets that are equally as complex, and um, and there's one that can be controlled with an app. Unfortunately, the app's been hacked. I'm not quite sure what that means. Does that mean they're well, going to start well, like, no, shooting it, water up your jacks? Apparently, they found it, it uh, several back doors. It ha- <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Sorry, I was early with that. Oh, yeah. I can see where this is going. Seemingly, the, the app has a password control, and the password it defaults to 0000. So you can take over any toilet. Now, you can just imagine somebody outside a tower block in Tokyo <laughs> with this app, app and setting the B-Day away and closing the opening the <laughs> what i don't understand is there are controls right next to you so why do you need the app <laughs> you don't have to touch it because there's but one thing know, you can't do remotely is take a dump is it you physically have to be there that's kind of part of the whole point of it really you can't do that remotely you've got to got to sit on the toilet if they so ever that's... make a sequel to enemy of the state they have to integrate this somehow <laughs> <laughs> maybe it plays music while you're taking a dump i don't know 
Or Johnny Cash's Ring of Fire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you've got, you've got lift, lift music. Now you've got toilet music. I, as I say, it, again, it's one of those things where I, I'm, I'm delighted to say, like I'm sure everyone else here, I'm, I'm in possession of an unhackable toilet. It doesn't have an app. But I mean, I, I, obviously, I have to go through the arduous task of remembering to flush it, which, according to Steve, is a bit of a challenge. But no, other than that, that's uh, it, it, I, again. Depends what you're trying to flush away, I suppose. How well, big a challenge it is. Yeah, but come on, unless Steve, you're going to tell me that it was able to detect if you, you know, had nine pints of Guinness and and, and a 22 ounce steak, and it would just keep going until such time as the the, the job was done. Presumably, it would only do one automatic flush. When it, it would actually up. start to gently sort of stream water down the sides of the bowl when you sat down, and also in preparation, presumably for what's to come. Lubric- <laughs> lubrication, so it slips. Yeah, down yeah, the effectively, yeah. yeah preparing the bowl for uh, for the large curry that <laughs> for I the onslaught. <laughs> <laughs> Have we plumbed new depths here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are talking about plumbing, yeah. so yeah, probably. I was once sat on it, though, when the earthquake happened, and I just thought this was just my luck. Give yourself a pat on the back. It was genuinely an earthquake, but I was just sitting there thinking, I'm, I can't believe I'm going to die on the toilet like Elvis. How undignified. What a way to go. My trousers around my knees. But, uh, thankfully, the, the earthquake stopped before the building fell down. Bridge over troubled waters. <laughs> yeah, I like that. James is sit down. That sort of might work. Yeah. Oh, sit down. Yeah. <laughs> Tsunami by Manic Street Preachers. <laughs> Don't it make my brown eyes blue? <laughs> What's that? Isn't there a blur song? Is it in song number two? <laughs> Yeah, there is a song too. That's quite a good call. There's one. There is a song called "Stuck in the Toilet." Apparently, you can download. You? Is it the Steelers Wheel? <laughs> it's dubstep. Stuck uh, in the middle with you. I <laughs> it, uh, literally just checking checking the internet. There is apparently a song called "Hot Mess" by Chromio. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Chromio stuff's normally quite good, so you might be a win-win on that one. So uh, yeah. Oh, Scatman! <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Okay, so uh, moving on, let's go to Mark Botwright. Mark, uh, games news? Uh, uh, nothing. We've got the gaming podcast out on the same day that this is, so go and listen to that if you want gaming news. All right, so we're not good enough for the gaming news now, is that what you're saying? Did you even read Steve's emails? <laughs> no. Oh, you, you never do. <laughs> no, I did for once this week, and it said don't bother preparing. It's doesn't it? The one yeah. time you read it was a woman who said you've got nothing to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing Skyrim here. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, but smells Vim, like Vim, Vim spirit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Mark's right. The Games Podcast is out uh, this week. Go and have a listen for that. And uh, what subjects are you covering in the Games Podcast this month? Oh, um, a long rambling discussion that I'm sure Steve will edit into something approximating a podcast. Um, touch on... Oh, Christ... Let me think there for a second. I've got it written down somewhere. Uh, Amazon possibly doing a console, um, the plight of the Wii U, and the Xbox One unboxing, as well as general topic discussions about uh, Shinji Mikami's The Evil Within and the plight of modern horror games. So that's the AV Forum's Games Podcast. Go and listen now. But finish this one first. Or don't if you couldn't even monkeys about games. No right. toilet humour on the games podcast, I bet. 
I don't know. Have you listened to it? <laughs> well, no, obviously not. I couldn't give a f- about games. That's terrible. Saying that in front of Mark as well. Come on. Stop. Show some respect, Steve. I guarantee you Mark does not listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> I played the fifth. You don't have to. He was here. Yeah. If I was listening to it anyway to see how it came out, basically. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, yeah that, that's more in the way that you stop and look at accidents on the motorway. <laughs> it's just like, it. what on earth has happened this time? To see how much I've been cut out of it. <laughs> that's why I usually listen to it. Hey, I lost a complete diatribe last week. Yeah, you, you were cut out heavily. Like You were the man on the cutting room floor last week. But yeah. for good reason. You just go into a bit oh. of a rant. Well, we had agreed. Well, we're going to be talking about that again in a minute. So, you yeah, well, you know, I, rant. I didn't fancy a meeting with the lawyers on that one. So. Oh, no, oh we could have done loads of Muddy Waters songs. <laughs> <laughs> Drop it like it's hot. Oh, Mark, I watched um, Breaking Bad. Oh, oh, good. I don't. Oh, I don't really know. good. It was I don't know. If I, just, I just. I need it so there's two or three episodes available. I can't. I can't. I, I'm going to be left dissatisfied if I can't. Do oh, no, no, but now it's every month. Every Monday morning now. Bit of Breaking Bad. Yeah, but that's a long. That's a long wait for the way I watch TV. Yeah, well, you're supposed to be like, doing work on a Monday morning, guys. This is true. One of the breakfast. entire benefits of being self-employed is that when everyone else gets up on a Monday, I don't. It's literally about the only thing I've been able to... <laughs> it's like of, your one pleasure in yeah, life. Yeah, wait till, I, wait till the baby arrives there, then. It's off the year old. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> I'm make, making the most of it now. Yeah, make the most so. of it now. Yeah, sleep will be a fond child of memory to you pretty soon. Won't it, Mark? All right, the first, the first few weeks were all right. They lull you into a false sense of security by sleeping all the time, just generally being all right. just gets worse and worse. Well, <laughs> for the rest of your the first, life. The first 10 years are the worst, followed by the next 10 oh, years. That is just shit. Yeah, after that, it goes steadily downhill. If that, that happens, I'll take, take, take up my parents' idea. I'll say I went away to boarding school at seven. <laughs> Phil, did you, you watch? See, you can see why sometimes. Family guy last night. I did, not yes. You personally, I did. Please don't kill me. I'm not married. I've got something to live for. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny. When Brian gets caught caressing Lois's You're having a dream. No, I'm no. not. <laughs> <laughs> then he hits her with a vase and just plays the <laughs> doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, there, there, was, there was cats in that one. You'd like it, Ed. I did see it last night. Yeah, it was a little <laughs> What was the cat's name, Mr. What? Pilkington. Pil- Puffington or something like that. I just prefer cats to dogs. Dogs are just smelly and intrusive. Well, as opposed to aloof and, <laughs> and unsociable. Glenn, have you been to this strip club before? Yeah, about 20 years ago. <laughs> Twins look like him, isn't it? <laughs> Doing the, mic and the, the Vulcan V-mail. <laughs> Your fog lamps are on. Your fog lamps are on. There's no fog. There's no fog. No fog. Oh! What's at the cinema, Steve? Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa. I mean, it always is a danger when any TV show, particularly a half-hour comedy show, makes a transition to the big screen. The danger is, you know, can it can it carry itself for an hour and a half, or is it going to feel like a TV show that's been stretched out to an hour and a half? Well, one thing I can say about Alan Partridge is it does the transition perfectly. It's genuinely an entertaining movie. It's shot in the scope ratio, 2.35 to 1, which gives it a kind of a more cinematic feel. Uh, it's got a decent plot. I mean, it's kind of a reworking, really, of um, Dog Day Afternoon, uh, where uh, one of Alan's co-workers is sacked and then basically goes into the station with a shotgun and holds some of the people in the station hostage, and Alan's being used as a go-between between the police 
and his friend who's, who is the hostage taker. Uh, and that's the kind of premise. And, and that, that gives them plenty of room to play with, uh, both in terms of, uh, you know, sorts of um, set pieces. There's some absolutely hysterical, laugh-out-loud moments in this film, but it's just a string of constant witticisms from, from, from um, Partridge. Uh, Coogan, who is, you know, very much a comedy actor and not a comedian, um, is absolutely brilliant in it. Uh, he really is a good actor, and, and he plays Partridge to the T. As the sort of the, um, the the siege spirals out of control, you can see Alan thinking, "I can work this to my advantage." And he's, and, and as he as he gets more and more popular through the course of the the siege, you know, his ego becomes more and more rampant, and it gets worse and worse. Uh, and it is just brilliantly funny. Um, Solid supporting cast all round. Cole Meany's great as Pat, who's is basically the, uh, the the sack DJ. There's some very cutting bar, you know, barbs against, uh, I guess, media conglomerates and um, you know taking over small, mostly North North Norfolk Digital has taken over and turned into Shape Radio. Uh, not even that, just Shape. It's not even a radio, and it's just a you know, media centre. And they start getting rid of some of the older DJs, which is why Pat gets sacked, and they bring in sort of you know, trendy idiots to, and their um and, and their sort of morning shows and it, and it is very funny in that sense most of the characters you'll recognize from the tv show tv show pop up at some point um the geordie dorman <laughs> has two of the best scenes in the film uh that are absolutely hysterical um and uh yeah i mean basically you, you know I, i'd kind of forgotten that patrick marber and armando ionucci helped co-create alan partridge and armando ionucci is one of the writers on the script and you know given that he successfully transitioned the thick of it to the big screen for in the loop he again does a great job here uh it's it's, it's a very very fun if you're a fan of partridge you'll love it if like ed perhaps not so much then i guess you won't go and see it but uh, I think anyone who's a fan of Alan Partridge and Steve Coogan will, will definitely enjoy it. But I think even if you're a, not massively a, familiar with Alan Partridge, I think you'll still find it an incredibly funny film. It is just very well observed and very well made. Uh, and Coogan delivers the goods in terms of the performance. So uh, a, a definite solid 8 out of 10 for that one. You see, the, the problem I have with Alan Partridge is I find him hilarious, but in half-hour segments, because some of the humour is just so embarrassing. You know, that real embarrassment humour. I find myself cringing too much. And for an hour and a half, I would be... There isn't actually that much of the massive... There's a few bits of classic Partridge embarrassment, but but they tend to... I think for that very reason, Phil, they do tend to keep that to the minimum. Um, because, yeah, you're right, you couldn't take an hour and a half of cringing. Um, but you've got some top-jaw slapstick in there, some really, really funny... St- I mean, there's a, scene where, so there's a scene where he tries to get out of the window and his trousers get stuck on the, on the, on one of the, uh, you know, the little things you, you put the... Window, window. Um, what do they think? What do they call those things that when you open a window and you latch, latch. Thank you. Yes, that's the word. You get stuck on the latch and his trousers and pants fall down. It, it is really, really funny. Uh, Eyebrow comedy, then, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, totally not at all. Not what, not what. Ask jokes and knobs, but it, ultimately that is funny. <laughs> um, uh, and there's some other stuff, but yeah, they do try and I think they tone down a bit on the embarrassment factor and go more for out and out gags sometimes. But there's also just tons and tons of those kind of sides that are just really, really funny. You know, my, my concern going into the film, and I think I talked about this with you, Mark, is that, you know, it, it didn't look that hysterical in the trailers. And you kind of think, are they going to be able to pull it off for an hour and a half? But they do, basically. That's the bottom line they do. Anyone's- no, I've not seen it. Yeah. It'll, just, it'll lead you in nicely, but my local cinema has got the Lone Ranger instead of. So I've got to wait for the Lone so Ranger. you've got one screen? Yes. Your local cinema's only got one. Yes. <laughs> when did you live? 1984 or something? <laughs> they closed some, down the big one. Some bloke's house. It is more or less a really good home cinema in, in the top of a local heritage. <laughs> That's what I've got to deal Sorry, with. Sorry, where, 
Where do you live? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you for that segue, Mark. There you go. <laughs> yes. The other film is The Lone Ranger. Now, there are times when you sit in the cinema and think, what were they thinking? What were they they spent two hundred and fifty million dollars on this, a and another hundred of a billion, and another hundred and seventy-five million marketing it. That's four hundred million dollars on a cowboy movie. To to break even, it has to make eight hundred million worldwide. It's not going to get anywhere near that, by the way. So they've already written off one hundred and fifty million because it tanked in the US. So, but you're thinking, okay, cowboy movies never make much money, even in America. They have no international appeal whatsoever. The last cowboy movie was probably Cowboys versus Aliens. That had Harrison Ford and Daniel Craig in it, John Favreau directing off the back of Iron Man, and it tanked. So, spending two hundred and fifty million on on um, on a cowboy movie, even though they've got what we've got Johnny Depp in it, he's got a big national fan base. Yeah, but not that not that that strong to be honest. And frankly, I found it slightly insulting that they cast Johnny Depp as an, as Tonto, you know, the Indian character, the Native American, should we say? Um, it's, it's a bit like casting an unknown as Batman and Brad Pitt as Robin. He just completely unbalances the entire movie because, you know, the Lone Ranger isn't the star of his own film. Uh, you know, Tonto is basically the star in every sense of the word. He narrates the thing from the beginning. Uh, you know, he can manipulate everyone within the film. It is, it is a Tonto movie with a bit of Lone Ranger thrown in for good measure, which in itself is just bizarre. Um, there's some great set pieces in it. Uh, you can see where the money went. I mean, it's up there on the screen, no question about it. But at the end of the day, you're kind of thinking, like, well, I'm not quite sure what the point was, really. And also, it, it makes light of what was effectively genocide. So I, I really do f- get quite annoyed about that too. And I oh, am come constantly... on, Steve. Genocide's always funny. Oh, no, wait, hang on. No, no, I've got yeah. that wrong. Genitals. Oh. You're thinking of genitals. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, and I'm utterly sick of, of Johnny Depp, to be honest. I'm sick of his antics, his shtick. It, it's just like all the mugging to camera. He's been playing cartoon characters for the last 20 years. Um, you know, the best thing he's done recently is probably Rango, where he gets to play an animated character, because that's the best thing for him. Uh, I just, just sat... I, I, who cares about the Lone Ranger anymore, anyway? Well, no one cared about it. They, did, they made a film with the Lone Ranger in 1981 called The Legend of the Lone Ranger. That tanked as well. And that was a massive budget movie. And it was more current then than it is now. Quite. And it's two and a half hours long. It's way too long. Uh, you know, middle section, I nodded off a couple of times because I was getting quite bored. Um, <laughs> it's, got, it's got a good beginning, good end, and a very long, boring middle section. Um, convoluted plot. But even though it's really convoluted, you can tell from the beginning what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> you can know, okay, I bet he's that, and I bet he does that. So, uh, yeah, it's just... Um, yeah, what they were trying to do, quite obviously, was thinking, okay, we'll get Jay Bruckheimer, Gore Bavinsky, Johnny Depp, the writers of Pirates of the Caribbean, we'll have another massive money-making franchise. No, you haven't, guys. Back to the drawing board. This just brings up the story which uh, Ed found this week, and I guess we have been discussing it over the last few weeks in the podcast, and that is the the fact that the bubble has to burst at some point. All these comic book heroes, all this, these franchise movies, sequels, all the rest of it, and the vast amounts of money, the obscene amounts of money uh, that they are throwing at these sequels and franchises, the bubble has to burst. Um, there's no way that they can keep this up, especially if Disney are taking as big a hit as they are on the Lone Ranger. So, you know, where where does things go? I mean, what is it that's going to burst the bubble? I, I jokingly said the Batman versus Superman movie, but you could very well be right there. If, uh, the article, obviously, the article is in itself comedic, but behind that, there are just some bold numbers in it, which just, which just stagger the mind. I mean, I, we've already discussed that a quarter of a billion dollars has been spent on the Lone Ranger, which is probably, which, which still takes some time to get get your head round. But um, there would be um, 
this summer alone, uh, 16 films have cost more than $100 million to make. You know, the, the, obviously, you know, m- money is a bit of an abstract contract, con- sort of construct when you get to when you get to numbers of this size. But even so, sooner or later, they, you know, there's just so, so much of the stuff being invested. And, you know, whilst we send Steve off every week to watch everything, and my wife is doing the best she can to do the same thing as well, these people are very much in a minority. There's just, just no way that you're going to see the money back. Well, I mean, the Avengers made 1.6 billion worldwide. You think, oh, that's a lot of money. But, you know, I didn't realise until I read that, another article based on that article that you sent me, Ed, that in order to break even, it had to make at least a billion. <laughs> to make a billion dollars. Now, I think 16 movies in the history of cinema have made over a billion dollars. So, you know, they were betting the farm on that one to a degree. Um, it's, it, it, it's getting to the point where, you know... The numbers just don't add up anymore. I mean, Disney have taken a hit on the low range. They took a similar sized hit last year on John Carter. I think in that case, that wasn't actually. A, I enjoyed the movie. I think it was just badly marketed and it had a terrible title. But but you know that's two hits they've taken. Now they can offset those hits against the fact they've had a big big success with Iron Man three and with the Avengers recently. But you know you've already made the point Ed, that there's at some point the comic book movie's going to the comic book movie cycle is going to burst. The bubble's going to burst on that one. Uh, the, the I think the tipping point is going to be 2015 because. Uh, you've got a whole host of mega-budget movies all hitting the cinema in a same sort of two, three-month period. Uh, and, and as you've just said, people only go to the cinema a certain number of times in a, in a, in a year, never mind in a month. Last time I was um, there was Skyfall. Yeah, well, you're not a really good example, though, are you? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I, I think it's people go to the yeah. When did you ask to go to the cinema, Mark? To see uh, uh, Monsters something. University. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It, left, it left a lasting impression. <laughs> I, quite, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, Mr. Botwright. Uh, I went to see Pacific Rim. That's a good um, name for a Japanese toilet, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, the Fast and the Furious 6 for me, whilst I remember. So, yeah, still a while. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the last one I went to see was Iron Man 3. I had high hopes to go and see Pacific Rim and various other bits and bobs, but as always, life tends to... Kick me in the life always short and curlies. Always gets um, away. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. anyway, I think most of us have been to the movies at least once this year, apart from Phil. Um, but 2015, you've got uh, Star Wars 7. Um, you've got Superman, well, Man of Steel 2. Um, there's the Avengers 2 coming. Um, there's a Transformers sequel coming to the Transformers 4, I think. Is that next year? The year after next. There's a Terminator movie coming. It's a possible Jurassic Park 4. There's uh, a sequel to Finding Nemo, uh, Finding Dory. Uh, you know, there's just a, a lot, and that's the top of my head. I know there's lots more than that, all coming in the space of the same period. Now, you're going to get some bombs in there. It would question of whether the studios in question, I mean, Disney can weather the last couple of years where it's had some pretty high-profile bombs because it's also had some massive successes. Um, other studios like Universal haven't really had that kind of box office. They could, they could ill afford to drop 200 million on something. I mean, I'm not actually, I have to say, I'm not that, pessimistic even if we do have a complete and absolute implosion if you think back to look at the parallels in the music industry where there was a phase where it didn't matter that certain stuff was tanking because uh, certain things were just shoe-ins and it didn't matter what happened you'd make a you'd make a ton of money off them that sort of has has gone but the i mean obviously there are there are key differences between the sort of independent what people bringing their work bring their work to a wider audience independently with music than there are films there's far bigger hurdles but it's not like the collapse in the amount of money that organizations have to spend 
has actually necessarily affected the quality of the output. And there's just been different routes to market and different ways of of, of, of delivering delivering the material. I mean, you, you have to look at the the story there about Expendables three and Bruce Willis being booted out because you wanted a million dollars a day for four days' work. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's done himself any favours there because uh, Sylvester Stallone went public with the reason why he's not in the film, and he said, you know, he's greedy and la- he actually called him greedy and lazy. So I guess he's off, off Bruce's Christmas card list. Well, I mean, it's like, the- funny we were talking about last week about how Bruce just phoned in. Die Hard Five and phoned in Red Two. You no, know, he just doesn't seem to care anymore. He's just taken the paycheck, and it's a shame because I used to really like Bruce Willis. It, it, we don't know how it's panning out. We need a crystal ball to do that. But it it does strike me that with this many films and this much money, it it, it it's the whole thing where it doesn't have. You don't even have to recognise that it, it as a turkey for it to be potentially catastrophic to some of the studios. As you, as you were saying, some of the ones that aren't Disney are in. Yeah, it it doesn't doesn't auger too well for them it must be said it's a it's a sort of massive all stakes game where only one or two of the players actually can afford the stakes they're putting down it's a bit like the yeah, premier the league isn't it is, sorry yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say the problem is that you know we keep saying things like oh well do more you know original material stop making all these sequels and all these franchises and all that you know and converting you know adapting comic book material and this kind of stuff yeah do something original but the problem is when we when people studios do something original Mostly, not there are exceptions. I mean, it, well, there's an exception in Inception, which was was a, an original piece by Christopher Nolan and was a big hit, um, and was a pretty much a genuine gamble on a part of Warner Brothers. I think, that, although I, I think they trusted Nolan after doing Dark Knight. But you know, look at this year: Pacific Rim hasn't done very well. Um, after Earth bombed, World War Z or Z is um, you know going to make a reasonable amount of money, but certainly it was nowhere near the size of the hit they expected it to be. Well, at least break even. Um, but you know, there's little incentive for studios to take risks on on original material uh, if even the that stuff isn't isn't delivering with with a, with, a, with a, an audience. At least with a franchise, you got you know like Star Wars Seven. That's going to make a billion dollars, right? I mean, I'll bet my hat on it now. Uh, no question about it. Can we see the hat first? I want to know what sort <laughs> of stake you're putting down here. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's going to make a billion dollars easy. Uh, no question about it. Uh, just on the back of the back of the name Star Wars, um, and you know, we, given that they, they're bringing in the original cast and everything, I think it's going to be a huge hit. Already, you don't have kids, Steve, but on the Disney Channel, they're already milking it, and nothing's really happened. Star Wars at left, right, and centre. Do you not think that's why they're spending so much money on things like the Lone Ranger? They're not looking at one film; they're looking at the the possibility that you know you might bankroll half a dozen at 200 million but if you get one you know that ends up like a pirates of the caribbean or something like that then you're making so much off the back of that that it almost wipes it out they're not looking in kind of almost yearly cycles or five-year cycles they're looking kind of 10 years ahead 15 years ahead yeah i mean that's it for the lone ranger for me that that seems to be the whole premise behind it was that they they were hoping to get another pirates uh, franchise out of it especially with, with, with Depp. You know, that's that's what they were looking for. I mean, it's plainly obvious that that's why that movie exists. Well, isn't it also, John Depp's wanted to do it for years. It has Vanity Project written all over it. Um, it more so than Jack Sparrow ever did. It's it, it's just, you know, something that he's had a bee in his bonnet about doing and he carries sufficient clout that they can spend a space program's worth of money on the problem. Well, I mean, Steve, you said that the other day when we were discussing this, I mean, about Depp and his ability, acting ability... <laughs> And he always plays eccentric characters. He always plays for the laugh. And 
I'm, I racked my brain to try and think of, and it's not a very big brain, to think of uh, performances where he, he really gave it all and it wasn't the usual depth. And the only one I could think about was Ed Wood. Yeah, I was going to say that. But then, but then... But even Ed Wood is an eccentric exactly, character. Yeah, exactly. exactly. He's playing that character again. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, I, mean, I, I was trying to think of... Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, yeah, well, a platoon... Uh, you know, you've got to go back to his early films before you find a film where he's just playing a normal person. Didn't he do um, some sort of thing involving a book that sent people to hell or something? I'm not suggesting for a second it was a good film, but he wasn't an eccentric in it. It's one of the reasons why it's dreadful. Yeah, I think um, you're thinking of, of uh, Secret Window or something like that, wasn't it? No, no, something no. Window? Secret, yeah, Secret Window. Yeah. The Secret Window. He, he did Donnie Brasco. In Donnie Brasco, he, he plays a, a pretty regular guy. And he's good in that. But that was a long time ago, Danny Rasko, wasn't it? It just seems like then. for the past kind of decade, pretty much he's just been almost like he's breaking down that fourth wall. Every performance is almost like with a, no- a nod and a wink to the audience. Yeah. Sweeney Todd. Well, again, that's <laughs> pretty eccentric. <laughs> uh, unless you're about to drop some revelations about your, your barber. <laughs> No, I just, I just got a, an affliction. I say Sweeney Todd just occasionally <laughs> slips out. I can't help it. <laughs> this is the most specific Tourette's in the world. <laughs> I suppose the good news for studios is that at least um, uh, ancillary sales are still strong. So we were talking about Dread last week. Remember, Dread didn't do very well at the cinema, but has done extremely well in terms of DVD and especially Blu-ray. Um, and, and I guess that's keeping a lot of studios afloat uh, with some of the big, you know, some of the box office failures or disappointments that they've had in recent years. We have to wait and see how it's going to it's going to develop. 2015 could be a turning year. Um, but where things are strong is with Blu-ray sales, which is uh, surprising uh, given the fact that, you know, um, lots of comments, even on our forums, that, you know, the disc is dead, it's all going to be downloaded and streaming from now on. But it seems to be that Blu-ray sales have never been better. I think they're up 15% in the first half of the year which is uh, considerably stronger than DVD. Uh, obviously, um, the biggest rise has been in digital downloads. They're up 50% on the first half of the year. But even so, you know, given I, I'm, you know, like many of us here, I think we're all uh, fans of the digital, uh, physical media. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see that people are still buying in increased numbers, Blu-rays, because um, that means that there's still life in the, in the format. And I've still got my fingers crossed that we'll get some kind of 4K Blu-ray system. Well, you see, this brings up an interesting question, you know, what films have you bought on formats uh, across all the formats? And we were having this conversation earlier, and I think it's a good point to bring it up at the minute. How many times have you bought the same film but on a different format? Um, oh. I've bought Apocalypse Now on VHS DVD, then I bought Redux on DVD, and now I've bought it on Blu-ray. Uh, I think that's my worst, if I'm honest. I bought Terminator 2 on VHS, both Pan and Scan and Letterboxd. Then I bought it on Laserdisc, uh, both normal theatrical cut and um, special edition uh, box set. Then I owned it on VCD, uh, DVD. <laughs> I bought it on DVHS, uh, HD DVD and Blu-ray. And on most of those cases, multiple times in all those formats. So I've owned that film at least... 20 different times. Do you like the film? I'm not even yeah, sure I actually like the movie. <laughs> I was just going to say, do you like again? the film? Terminator 2. <laughs> well, I think, 20 times. I think I've probably bought Star Wars films the most across all formats, to be honest. 
including 300 quid on the uh, definitive box set on Laserdisc. Um, Ouch. <laughs> to be yeah. fair, you will get. Your, I think you get your money back on that. If you actually look at what, what that commands these days. Oh, I saw it a long time ago, Ed. Oh, well, that's you, that's you cashing in too early. The, 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 guy, the guy that came round wouldn't buy the blue, wouldn't buy the laser disc player unless I threw that in as, as part <laughs> of the deal. So, because I also had stuff like Toy Story box set and stuff. Oh, the amount of laser discs I had and the money that I wasted on it. Yeah, <laughs> don't even want to start, start crying. <laughs> I still actually that. have I have a functioning laser disc player. Uh, I even saw it the other day. Um, but uh, I think uh, mini disc was uh, I, given that I have no means of playing a mini disc now, and I spent a lot of money, especially on the hardware. That it, it, that's my my most expensive. I, I've got to say, this format. I went mini disc. I had mini disc in the car. I had mini disc separates, and I loved the edit functionality. That's yeah. yeah I thought yeah, it was no, super. No, no. There was a lot to lot to be you know not to be good about it but yeah i i mean i spent 500 quid or whatever on a ja20 es uh separate you know with the actual tray drive rather than the sort of pop eject mechanism mm, made no difference at all but you know it looked cool but, <laughs> but it the, the, needless to say that transport was the thing that did it a piece of plastic worth about 5p sheared off and that was it it was totaled so you couldn't sell me a replacement mech so it's like well to the skip it goes it was depressing and that that was the end of it i just knocked it on the head after that i was so disenchanted simon what's your uh, guilty pleasure on different formats it's uh i've i've been thinking about it, it it's i think it's just about every film that's been named terminator i've bought in i remember getting my, the very first film i ever bought was the first terminator um, on VHS, and I've since owned it on DVD, Blu-ray, two versions of Blu-ray. Terminator 2, like you, Steve, had it on two or three different VHS versions of it, because there are two or three that come out. I had it on HD DVD. I've now got two versions of it sitting in the rack over there on Blu-ray. Star Wars, um, yeah, I had the original um, first letterbox VHS of Star Wars, in the white boxes. Wish I still had those. They're worth a bloody fortune now. Um, and the various re-releases. Incredible. Seemingly, the money. seemingly the making ofs in the white boxes are worth a fortune. Yeah. And I remember standing in HMV and thinking, um, do I want to spend 25 quid on these three VHSs or not? And, and I walked out and I regret that. <laughs> See, I had the bastards. Well, and I think I moved house and fortune? left them. Why? They worth the fortune? They were the first. Yeah, and the first time. Oh, just because they were the first time. They, they really were the first yeah. time. They were widescreen in the original format. You, you, oh yeah, just, I had I had those. They were awful boxes. though, weren't they? NTSC transfers. They were a really crappy picture. Yeah, but you didn't care back you then. Back then. Did you, you, you couldn't, couldn't get tell on the tellies, could you? Yeah. I mean, Watching Star Wars in the, in a widescreen format for the first time since I'd seen it at the cinema when those VHS tapes came out was a revelation. Mm. Sort of actually saying, oh, God, the composition looks really nice on that shot. <laughs> I have actually just found something interesting. It's interesting. The Terminator keeps cropping up. Weirdly, the most expensive piece of vinyl I've ever bought is the Terminator soundtrack. Is that right? It's strange to relate. Yeah, because I bought it for my wife's birthday present. It's my wife's favourite film, and she's particularly obsessed with the sheer 80s nostalgia that is the soundtrack. And in the in Europe, the CD was never released, and obviously it's an excuse to buy vinyl. So, um, yes, I bought a mint copy. Uh, and by that I mean actual classification of mint for fifty-two quid. So uh, yeah, wow. 
I had the chance to buy that five ninety nine in a record shop. <laughs> still, still that's, that's why it's that's why I guess it's it's, it's a relatively rare and expensive thing. No, I mean, it still doesn't come close to. It still doesn't come close to some of the money that I've blown on laser discs. Steve will back me up on this. I mean, Jesus, yep. <clears> you know, we'd save up for months to buy some of these stuff, and and I can't believe that I'd be spending three hundred quid on films that I already had on on a, on laser disc, but I wanted the box set with the book and the the nice packaging and the artwork. And I guess that's I mean, one thing. Just a normal film, you know, a normal Blu-ray, uh, sorry, a normal Laserdisc release would be, what, 20, 30 quid. Yeah. And uh, then you'd be paying £100 for a box set. Yeah, but then you and had to pay for the US version because the UK versions, although Pioneer did their best when they released them, and they were they were a studio at that point for releasing Laserdisc because they're the only company building the players, um, you still had to go for the US version because it yeah, was uncut yeah. and it had all the extras and... Yeah, yeah, and then because we had to import it from the states, and yeah, it used to cost a fortune, and absolutely, I used to buy mine from Ken Crane's Laserdisc. But then you know we're talking about 4K possibly coming um, on a format. Now, what happens if that's 45 quid a film? Then it's doomed. Then isn't it? Is the simple answer in 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 this day and yeah, age? Yeah, the market won't tolerate that, no. will they, Phil? I mean, one of the reasons why I can imagine that Blu-ray sales have actually done all right is that, I, I don't know about anyone else here, but I have noticed that the pricing has become distinctly less ambitious in, in this, certainly even over the last six to eight months. It, see, it seems to be where you go, though, because I, I was in Asda the other day and had um, uh, the Disney 3D stuff was like 25 quid, whereas a, there was some chart titles that were like £12. It didn't really make much Disney sense. Disney tend to price quite high, but I've noticed in a lot of releases from other studios that DVD would be like a tenner, and the Blu-ray would be fifteen quid. So the differential is minimal now, and mm. you know I still find it amazing that people are buying DVDs. I haven't bought DVDs since two thousand and six, and and you know people still buy DVD players. I think well, who, who buys those? And you've got you. Most people have a high def TV, so buy a Blu-ray player and watch really good quality high yeah, def content. There are loads. Far in excess. There are loads of films that haven't come out on Blu-ray though. Yeah, but they're getting there. I mean, there's quite quite a lot. It's but, very well, few. Yeah, but Mark, major you, standouts. For Mark, me now. the abyss is the niche. one I'm waiting for. Mark, you're very much niche, though, aren't you? In your tastes, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I mean, I used to buy quite a a, a few from uh, CD Japan. I mean, is that still going, Mark? Are you still into your Asian films and buying stuff that way? Uh, uh, um, are we going to get onto the topic of piracy? Um, I'll say no. <laughs> <laughs> but but even then, I, I you know, I, I remember buying uh, True Lies, the DTS version on on DVD, and spending fifty quid on it because yeah, I had to buy I, it from Japan. Yeah, I mean, the, the, my kind of big hope with a lot of the kind of obscure films is that, in fact, they're usually like one generation behind. So like, there, there's quite a lot of stuff that we're only just seeing very good quality dvd releases or in fact even on blu-ray it's kind of what you'd consider kind of good quality dvd release so my hope is that simply once we get 4k we might see better quality blu-rays of some of these films i think that's yeah, yeah. fair the killer for a start yes exactly the killer all of john woo's mm. hong kong work i mean i'd love to see the original cut of a better tomorrow too but that's probably oh, yes. look it's sat in some triads basement somewhere mark you've mentioned <laughs> hong kong now <laughs> <laughs> during the war 
I've just noticed that actually because for years the uh, the seminal childhood masterpiece that was BMX Bandits you couldn't buy that on anything other than VHS <laughs> but I've just seen and you can, with a very you, young Nicole Kidman that, with a very young yes, Nicole Kidman. very young Nicole Kidman but it took Crazy. them ages to get a DVD out of that masterpiece and now you can actually <laughs> there buy is one. still no anamorphic DVD of The Abyss or True Lies. And you know you can think so, and they're not available on Blu-ray yet. And it's kind of you think James Cameron's really into like picture quality and home cinema. Get your finger out, James. He's probably <laughs> making them in 3D. No, they're they're releasing them next year because next year's the 20th anniversary of um, the Abyss and 20th anniversary of True Lies. As if anybody cares or is going to base their buying decision upon whether it's the anniversary or not. Just get the damn things in the marketplace, please. It's one of my favourite films, the Abyss. Can take or leave that, but True Lies is bloody marvellous no, you can't do comedy arabs anymore not after 9-11 no no that's why but that's why it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, such a such a, a piece of its time you know it's, yeah uh, oh brilliant yeah, it is it is brilliant absolutely brilliant are we back onto pandora's box now <laughs> and um well that's it for another avies forums podcast uh my thanks to mark Botwright. sorry uh just preoccupied um yeah uh we're doing quotes aren't we yeah all right yes Yes. Do you want to go again, or will you be able to cut this? Yeah, I'll, I'll just cut this bit out. Jazz flute is for little fairy boys. <laughs> Steve, with us. Good night. I'm Ron Burgundy. Go fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> Simon Crust. What's the matter with him? He says the birds are scrounging. And Mark Hodgkinson. You know I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> And finally, Ed Sally. Milk was a bad choice. So you can follow us on Twitter at, at AV Forums, on Facebook.com forward slash AV Forums, and bookmark AVForums.com for the latest reviews, news, and videos. And also, why don't you leave us a rating on iTunes? We'd love to hear your feedback if you enjoyed the show. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next Wednesday. Bye.